Second Corinthians, first chapter, 12th verse. For our boasting I'm sorry. Verse 12. For our, our boasting, our boasting. I'm just caught up a little bit on that word, boasting. Uh, verse 12. For our boasting is this. A testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the word in in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or un read or understand. Now I trust that you will understand, even to the end, as you have understood us in part, that we are your, we are your boast, your boast, that, that we are your boast, as you are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. I uh, have appreciated reviewing this passage over the last few weeks, but I have to admit that that I got caught up in, in this passage a little bit by this little word, boasting, or boast. Paul declares here in this passage that he is, is boasting. And I had always thought, I had always been taught, I had also always heard that, that boasting is not a good thing. It's not something that should characterize conduct of believers. What, what does Paul mean here when he says that he is boasting in this, that in verse 14, he is the Corinthians' boast, and that they are his boast. This morning, what I'd like to do is look through this passage and see if we can cover four parts to the message. Let's see if I can get this to turn here. There we go. I want to spend uh, a few minutes thinking about the idea of pride and boasting. Let's see if we can come to understanding what the scripture has to say about that. Then we'll look at four forms of conduct that we can rejoice in. And as time permits, we'll think about accusations made against Paul. That will cover uh, most of this section, particularly verses 12 down to verse 20, 20 or 19 or so. And then four assurances of the Christian's hope that we find towards the end of this passage. Now we'll see how we do in this. I don't want you to get alarmed because I'm 
Well, I, I expect I'll spend most of my time on item number one here, but we will try to get to the other two as time permits. So we're going to ask that we just pause for a moment and ask the Lord to help us as we think about this subject today. Lord, we thank you for your word and for its power. We thank you for the way that you teach us in it, that you show us how we should live our lives, give lessons for us in how we should think and how we should conduct ourselves. We pray that you would work in our hearts to be receptive to your word and to your teaching today. We need your help and we ask for it in our Savior's name. Amen. I'll put four, six, six words up on the screen for you to think about. I'm just going to ask what your thoughts are about, your, about these words, what comes to your mind when you think about these things. Confident, bold, overconfident, proud, boasting, arrogant. I wonder what you think about. This seems to me to be kind of a continuum. We might look at this and say, well, you know, it's a good thing to be confident. That's good. We should be confident about things. Maybe even bold is a positive characteristic. Overconfident, I think we would agree, gets in trouble. Not so good to be that way, usually. And pride, now we're getting into an area where, where we, we think perhaps there's a question about how we should be and how we should think. Boasting? Should we be boasting? Certainly we would agree that we don't appreciate when people are arrogant in the way that they think. Is boasting sin? As I say, I have always understood and thought and been taught that boasting is a bad thing. It's, it's sinful. We not to be, ought not to be involved in, in that kind of conduct. Yet, yet this passage confronts us with a statement that says Paul is boasting in certain things. And I want to try to understand exactly what that means. So let's look a little bit about what the scripture says about boasting and about pride. Here's a verse from 2 Timothy. I'm going to put some of these verses up on your screen. You can leave your Bibles if you have them open at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But here, here's a, a verse from 2 Timothy. But you know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. When I think about boasting, I, I think about lists like this. I think about characteristics of, of people, of men and women that aren't good. Here, here the apostle is writing and he describes characteristics uh, of people that, that are ungodly. People who are in opposition against God. All of these qualities we, we look at and we recognize they're not good. And among them is this word boasters. We have a similar list in Romans chapter 1 where, 
where Paul describes the state of, of men and women in rebellion against God. Unregenerate people who are depraved and in, and in their twisted minds, he describes them and all of their characteristics, and it's an ugly list. But in the middle of it there, we find from Romans chapter 1, we would find boasting as one of those characteristics. So, so can we say that Scripture says then that boasting is not a good thing? Look at these, these verses. Here, Proverbs 27. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. 2 Corinthians 10 and 18, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. I expect that many of you today, I, I, I suspect that many of you today would say, Keith, we understand boasting is not a good thing. Don't need to be convinced about that. Here's a passage from James chapter 4. We're going to come back to this a little later. But uh, here it is on the screen. And, and let's just look at this passage. I'll read the whole thing. I want you to pay in particular attention to verse 16 that I've highlighted in bold. But let's read the, the whole thing here. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now, lost it, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. All such boasting is evil. Interesting statement. All such boasting is evil. Think about this statement, all boasting is evil. And think about the statement in our verse, all such boasting is evil. Not quite the same thing. Interesting. We have the word boast twice in that verse, beginning of the verse and the end of the verse, short verse. In fact, I'd suggest to you that we have the word boasting three times in this verse. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. We looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2, or chapter 3, that, that list of, of characteristics of people, and uh, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Boasters in that verse is from a Greek word that is the same word that translated arrogance in this verse in front of us. Arrogance, sometimes translated as boasters. The word 
It's translated arrogance here in this verse 16 is this Greek word alizon. He's a braggart, kind of an antiquated word, but that's the definition that I found. An arrogant boaster, it occurs four times only in the New Testament, once here, once in Romans that I referred to. It's the idea of someone who is extremely proud and arrogant and standing up, describing how good they are and all their great plans. But the word boast at the beginning and end of this word is actually a different Greek word. And so this display of arrogance is a form of boasting, but there are other forms of boasting, I would suggest to you. And I was surprised to read about this and learn about this from the pages of Scripture. Is all boasting evil? Is pride always evil? I've always thought of pride as being a bad characteristic in the human heart, and I, and I, I know that Scripture speaks much about pride, about the evil of pride. I think about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, that's kind of the epitome of pride in the Scriptures, arrogance and pride and boasting who we read came to a point in his life when he walked on the on the, the city in the in the castle uh, in uh, Babylon he was walking about in the royal palace of Babylon the king spoke saying is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Babylon was a great city with wonderful marvels that were the marvel of the world in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar stood and looked over Babylon and in his pride, he took credit for it all said, I have done all of this. This is all of me. And in his pride, God struck him down at that moment. He was humiliated and he went about roaming on the earth like an animal, like a beast in the field. God punished him for his pride. And so we understand that pride and arrogance are not good things, and yet we have our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 1, verse 12, verse 14. How are we to understand this? The word boast in our text here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12 is a different word. It means to boast, it means to brag, and also means to rejoice in something or to glory in something. In fact, the word is sometimes translated in the New Testament as rejoice. It is sometimes translated as something that we glory in. Glory, not the noun, but glory is the verb. Paul says our boasting is this, 
I was interested to note that if you're reading, perhaps some of you here today are reading from other translations, the old King James has our rejoicing is this. Interesting. NASB has, or our proud confidence is this. Still the word pride in there. Is it right that we should boast? Let me ask you to think about that question. Scripture clearly shows that boasting is not always an inappropriate thing. I, I was surprised to see that. This word that I've got on the screen, this Greek word, is, is used in three different forms in the New Testament, 63 times. 28 of them are here in our book of 2 Corinthians, almost half of them here in 2 Corinthians. So if we're going to go through a study of 2 Corinthians, as is our plan over the next few months, perhaps good that we think about this word and what it means. We're going to see it again. Of the 63 times that we read of it in the New Testament, I was amazed to find that 34 of them are actually in a positive context and not a negative context, where boasting is, is presented as being something that's appropriate. I had to shake my head. I was surprised because that is not how I always understood this word. I want to look with you at three examples of sinful boasting, of boasting that is inappropriate, boasting that should not be, the kind of boasting that is not good, that is wrong, that is sinful. And the first example here we find from 1 Corinthians 5, I won't ask you to turn there, but I've put this verse up on the screen where Paul writes in very simple words, your boasting is not good. 1 Corinthians 5 describes a terrible condition in the church at Corinth, a condition that, that arose there, a situation that arose there where someone was in an inappropriate, immoral relationship with his mother-in-law, his stepmother. And, and it was being allowed to continue in the church at Corinth without being, without being opposed or recognized or, or addressed. And, and Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, this is not right. And what bothers Paul, if we were to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, is not just the situation that had arisen, but what bothered him even more is that they were happy about and proud about the situation and and honoring this person who was involved in this relationship. And he says, this is wrong. And your boasting is not good, he says. Clearly, we must never boast about our sin. We might think that's self-evident. But I'm going to suggest to you that it is something that we can easily fall into. Sometimes we are blind in our own eyes to the things that we're doing in our life that are actually wrong. And we don't see it perhaps through familiarity, perhaps because it's just common in our society. We're involved in things that are wrong. We're watching things we should not be. We're engaged in activities we shouldn't be, relationships that we should not be. And we come to a point where we might even be proud of these things. And it's wrong. It's wrong. We must never boast in things like that that are wrong. Second example 
he would. Times when boasting is clearly absolutely wrong. He must not ever boast in God-giving blessings as if we had acquired them ourselves. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7, but these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and to Paulus for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, for none of you, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive, verse 7? Now, if you did not receive it, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Paul points out again to the Corinthians that they have many blessings in Christ, but they went about as if these are things that they had acquired for themselves, accomplishments that they had achieved of their own effort and of their own merit. These blessings that they were enjoying from the hand of God were gifts to them from God, blessings that he had given to them. And they were going about proud of all of these things as if, as if they had acquired and accomplished them on their own. And it is wrong. Such boasting is wrong. And we need to recognize that the blessings that we enjoy and the things that we have received from God are gifts to him from his grace, by his grace, and recognize and honor him and appreciate and be thankful to him for those things that he has given to us and not be proud and boastful about them. Number three, boasting that is clearly wrong. You must not boast in your own achievements. You shall not be boasting about our achievements. I'm going to go back to this passage in James chapter 4 that we read earlier. Isn't that what this passage is saying? Today or tomorrow, we will go here or there, we will do this. Proud of what we have done and of the accomplishments that we have achieved. We should not be boasting about these things, about these accomplishments. But there are times that I find in Scripture when boasting is spoken about in a positive context, and those are the ones that I found most interesting. How, how it could be that Scripture speaks about boasting as it does here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 12, and in verse 14, in a more positive way. We can boast in God and in his achievements. Galatians 6. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We can be grateful and rejoice in our association with the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he has done because of his death on the cross for us. And all that we have and all that he has given to us and all of our future is because of him. 
And that is something that we can hold up and elevate and lift up. And Paul even uses the word boast with regard to that here in this verse in Galatians. We can boast in God and what he has done, lifting him up and pointing to him. Second, suggest that we can find this positive example of boasting. We can boast in the godliness and the blessings of others. <clears throat> Take this verse in 2 Thessalonians as an example. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you, one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Paul speaks highly of the Thessalonian believers. He has heard about their faith. He has heard about their, their testimony. He's heard about the love that they have for each other. And he tells the other believers that he meets about the faith and the conduct of the Thessalonians. And he even says that he, he boasts about it. He rejoices in it. And he holds them up as examples to others. And so I'd suggest to you that we might understand that it is not inappropriate that we, that we boast about the godliness and the blessings of God in others. You know, for many years, I have struggled a little bit with the idea of being proud of my children. I, I am proud of my children, but I've struggled. Can I say that? I mean, pride is not good, right? Is it, is it then inappropriate that I should say I'm, I'm proud of my kids? Doesn't every parent have some sense of pride in, in their, their children if they've done well and if they're, if they're conducting themselves as they should? Is it wrong that we feel that way? Well, I would suggest to you that, that it isn't wrong. That, that God demonstrates to us that we should be happy and celebrate the godly conduct and the blessing that God has given to those around us. We can be happy about that. Paul uses this word here in that context with regard to others. Even the word boasting, understanding the broader context and meaning of that word, rejoicing and glorying in the well-being and the blessing that is given to others. Let's look at a third example of appropriate boasting. Here Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, our book that we're studying, we'll come to this in chapter 12, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. Paul recognizes that when he is weak, then he is strong, that his, his weakness demonstrates the power of God. 
And so it isn't the accomplishments that he has achieved that he wants to talk about. It's not all the great things that God is doing in him that he wants to talk about. He wants to talk about how he being weak was used by God in powerful ways. And in so doing, he redirects the attention away from himself and towards God, who is the one who has empowered him and equipped him and enabled him to do all of these things. Paul says he would rather boast in his weaknesses and in his infirmities. And then I want to go to this passage in First Thessalonians chapter 2 which I would suggest tells us that we can rejoice in what God has done in us and through us. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, Paul writes to the Thessalonians and says, For what is our hope, our joy, our, or our crown of rejoicing? Just point out that word rejoicing is the same word, Greek word, that we read as boast everywhere else. What is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. <coughs> Paul looks at how God has worked in these Thessalonians who he has ministered to and how God has developed them in the faith and he rejoices in that. He knows that he has had some part in that. And that it is going to count. It's going to count in eternity. Many things that I do in this world day by day, many things that I'm involved with might bring me some benefit for a short time while I'm here. Perhaps I can earn some money. Perhaps I can gain some Prestige. Perhaps I can advance or achieve something, but really, what is it worth? What is it worth in the end? What's really going to last are the things that are done for God, the things that are done for Christ. And Paul recognizes that here. He invested in the Thessalonian believers. He invested in them before they were believers. He brought the gospel to them. He saw them saved. He taught them from God's word, taught them the truths about the Lord. They grew and they developed. And he understands that that's really what's going to be important in the end. And he rejoices in it. He boasts in it because he understands that's what's really important. Brings us back really to our passage here in, in Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because really Paul is saying the same thing here, isn't he? In verse 14, he says in verse 14 that we are your boast as you are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Why is he their boast? Because of the relationship they have in, in Christ. Because they are brothers in the Lord, sisters in the Lord. It's because he is, in a sense, their, their spiritual father. He has brought them along in their understanding, as he was to Timothy. 
they are his boast because they are like his children in the faith. And he is happy about that. And so the word is used in this way, in a positive sense. So then, is boasting, is boasting wrong? You have your Bible still open at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just flip over to chapter 5 and look at a verse there with me. I didn't put this one on the screen. Paul says in chapter 5 and verse 12, Or do we not... For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Perhaps here in this verse we can see some distinction <coughs> between those things that it is appropriate to boast about and those that it is not. When we are inclined to boast, let's pause for a minute and ask, where does this stem from? Is it something we're doing for appearance? Is it something that's coming from the heart? <coughs> Excuse me. Paul writes to the Corinthians in the first epistle, and he points this out that not many of them were wise. Not many of them were mighty, not many of them were prominent, and so it is among us today. As I look at my own life, and I look out among us here today at Readview Bible Chapel, I'm sure that you must agree with me that we can say that here is a group of people that God has blessed. It's not a group of those who are mighty, of those who are noble, of those who have accomplished great things. God has chosen the foolish things of this word, world to put to shame the wise. He has chosen the weak things of this world. He has chosen the things that are nothing to make out of it the things that are. Why has he done this? That no flesh may glory or boast in his presence, we read. We don't boast in his presence about all that he has done or that we have done. We don't boast about all that we have done. He has chosen the weak and the poor, the insignificant, and he has worked among them to turn the world upside down. And his word goes out around the world not at the hand and by the word of the emperors and the kings and the mighty and the powerful, but by the word of simple men and women that he has touched with the truth of the gospel who go about to speak his word. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now we just have a few minutes left. We move on to the other three parts of our message. Part two. Four forms of conduct to rejoice in. <coughs> These also come from verse 12. Verse 12, we have four words I want you to notice. The first word is the word in simplicity, at least in my translation. 
where boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity, they read. These are four behaviors I'm going to bring to your attention that, that keep our conscience clear. The first is simplicity. This word simplicity is from a Greek word which means singleness uh, as opposed to duplicity. Um, Paul says that the message I bring to you is, is consistent. It's a single, simple message. I'm not saying one thing to one group and something else to somebody else. I'm not saying one thing to you one day and something else the next day. I don't speak out of both sides of my mouth. The message I'm presenting is a simple message, a single, simple message word that means simplicity, sincerity, honesty, mental honesty. It is the virtue of one who is free from pretense and hypocrisy, according to one a definition that I read, and not self-seeking. And this is a characteristic that is good for us to emulate in our lives. We should be people like this. Paul goes on to speak about this because he says that the message he delivered to them in verse 13 was a straightforward and a simple message. He's not writing anything to them that they can't read or understand. They don't need to read between the lines and what he's saying. What he says he means, what he means he says. And it's a simple message that he presents to them. And so he is speaking in simplicity, he says. Second word that we notice is, is the word sincerity, or more fully, he says, godly sincerity in uh, verse 12. We should be sincere. We should be people who mean what we say and say what we mean. There should be no hypocrisy in, in our lives, in, in our conduct, or in our words. And so it was, Paul states, he was speaking to them in sincerity, words and actions that stem from the heart and uh, not distorting or corrupting the word of God, as Paul is accused of doing. The third uh, word that we have here that is a, a description of conduct that we can rejoice in is this, that we don't act in fleshly wisdom, verse 12. Not with fleshly wisdom. The idea of fleshly wisdom is wisdom that stems from some of our sinful desires in nature. And so we need to stop and ask ourselves, how do we conduct our lives? How do we respond to the things that happen around us? What are the standards that we use to make our decisions? We make decisions based on what's going to make us feel good or what's going to come to our benefit? Or are we making decisions based on the wisdom of the flesh, the things that drive us, our desires, physical desires. We make decisions based on God's standards and God's wisdom and God's word. Are we following the wisdom of the world or God's wisdom? The last word in the verse, the last word to bring to your attention, another description is that they demonstrated God's grace. Paul demonstrated the grace of God. And so we need to be reminded that attribute of our character that God is looking for is that we be gracious. God says, be holy for I am holy. But you know, all of God's attributes are attributes that we ought to seek to emulate in our life. And one of his great attributes is grace. We benefit from the grace of God. 
And as God is gracious, so we ought to be gracious ourselves in our lives and in our conduct. I often think about the grace of God and I marvel and I revel in the wonder of God's grace to me, how gracious God has been to me. I don't very often think about the fact that I need to be gracious to others, but I do. I need to be gracious in the way that I live and the things that I say and the way I respond. When people speak angrily to me, how do I respond? How do I react? Do I strike back or do I act in grace as God would do? When I seek to do something for somebody, am I doing it because I might get something in return? It's kind of a contractual arrangement. You do something, I'll do something for you. That's not grace. Grace is, is giving of yourself without the expectation of something in return. This is how God acted towards us. And this is how we need to conduct ourselves. These are attributes of character, conduct in which we can rejoice. Paul says that his boast is this, that this is how he conducted himself in the world. And so we ought to conduct ourselves in the same way. This passage, and we're going through a study of 2 Corinthians, and so we should cover the material here. But most of this passage that we are assigned today, 12 to 24, is really speaking about the accusations that have been made against Paul. Paul has been accused of a number of things. And Paul is, is uh, writing to address these accusations that have been written against him. He had written harsh letters to the Corinthians. First um, Corinthians has harsh things in it. There are many commentators, and I'm inclined to understand them as, as they do, that there was probably another letter written after 1 Corinthians that's not part of Scripture, referred to in 2 Corinthians as a severe letter that Paul wrote. Paul was harsh, and he had to speak about the moral and ethical problems that existed in the church in Corinth. And he addressed those problems, and, and people didn't like it. Some there in Corinth didn't like what he was saying. And they started to question his authority and question his apostleship. And these are some of the things that they, they charged him with. They said that he was duplicitous. Verse 12, that's really what Paul is addressing when he says that he spoke in simplicity and that what he wrote he meant. And that he wasn't trying to write between the lines. He was addressing this accusation that was made against him. There were charges that he was insincere. There were charges that he was planning according to the flesh. And that's really the bulk of what we see in verses 15 to 22. And I'm going to, time is gone, but I'm just going to take time to read that little section. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things that I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. But the Son of, G of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Paul had made plans to travel to Corinth. We read about those plans actually in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where he outlines what his plan was to go to Corinth. Evidently, that didn't transpire as he had said. 
And perhaps he had made another plan as described here. He has a different plan. It's not quite the same as the one described in 1 Corinthians 16. Another plan that's outlined how he was going to Corinth and going to go to Macedonia and back and see them twice and so on. But that evidently didn't happen either. And and the, and the people in Corinth are saying, you, you make plans wishy-washy, you vacillate. You can't believe what you say. Paul addresses that and says, I don't make plans that way. I don't say yes, yes, and then no, no. That's not, I'm following the Lord's leading, he says. I'm doing as the Lord directs. And then he describes in verse 24 why it was that he didn't actually go to Corinth as he had initially planned, but he followed the leading of the Lord. As Paul addresses these accusations that are made against him, that he is domineering, accusations that come up later in the epistle that we'll get to uh, in future studies. I'll just mention this to close then, four assurances of the Christian's hope, verses 20 to 22. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. For he who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Four assurances of the Christian's hope. All of the promises that God has given to us are sure, he says. They are sure and amen. There are great promises that God has given to us in his word. They're all sure and certain. It says, first of all, in verse 21, that he has established us, that he has founded us, grounded us. <clears throat> then it says that he has anointed us. Kings in the Old Testament, prophets in the Old Testament, priests in the Old Testament were anointed with oil on their head. It was an initiation, if you would. It was the launching of their testimony of their ministry for God. And God has anointed us with the Spirit of God and brought us to, in to do His work, commissioned for His purposes and to do His great work for a specific purpose. He has sealed us in the Spirit of God. Verse 22, the seal was a stamp was a, a signet uh, or private mark for security or preservation. And so the Holy Spirit seals us for God. Our position in Christ is secure under that seal. It identifies us with him as a seal identified with the mark of its uh, owner. And then fourthly, he has provided his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The spirit is provided in our marks as a guarantee. Guarantee of all that is to come. The guarantee of the promises, the many promises of God's word. They are sure. They are assured they are guaranteed. And the spirit dwelling within the life of the believer is that guarantee of the things that are to come. What are these things that are guaranteed to us? A new body. 2 Corinthians 5 and 5. 
these bodies we put aside and we will be given new and glorious bodies. A great inheritance in heaven, a home in heaven. We're guaranteed to be in the presence of God. We're guaranteed joy and rejoicing. We're guaranteed peace and glory, all of these things. The Spirit of God has given to us as a guarantee of these things to the praise of God and to his glory. Father, we thank you for your word and for its power to touch our lives. And we pray that as we think about it, in particular as we think about this passage that we have considered in future days, that you would bless us as we think about these things. Help us to grow in our faith, in our understanding of all that you have for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen.